CSMOD.com is your one-stop shop for tickets to all live SMOD pods and appearances by your favorite SMODcasters. San Diego Comic-Con Weekend, Babylon at the House of Blues on July 11th. Has tickets available? Then back at the Hollywood Improv on July 17th. July 31st, Babel at the Hollywood Improv. Looking ahead to August, Kev goes solo at Caroline's on Broadway in New York City on August 3rd. Babylon at the Hollywood Improv on August 7th. Kevin Jay, along with Mike and Ming, are at Fandom Fest in Louisville, Kentucky on August 8th. Two of the three Kev solo shows at the Atlanta Improv are sold out, but tickets are still available for the August 10th show. Looking ahead, Babylon in Hollywood on August 14th and 21st. Windsor, Ontario gets Kev at the Windsor Comic Con on August 15th, while his solo show at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Fran on August 23rd is sold out. But Edumacation with Kevin Andy still has some tickets left for that date. An evening with Kevin Smith, August 27th at the Houston Improv, the next night in Dallas at the Texas Theater. August 29th, Babylon at the Empire Theater in San Antonio. September 4th through 6th, Jason Muse hits up Wizard World San Jose. Get old and Q&A with Kev embark on the Jersey Boys Tour Down Under. September 18th in Sydney, the 19th in Brisbane, the 21st in St. Kilda, Victoria, the 23rd in Torrensville, and September 26th in Perth. Show your love for all the free funny at Smodcast.com by checking out a live Smodco show. Visit csmod.com. Geek News Radio's commentary, not just another podcast. On the Ordinary Big Ball Broadcast. Nice night for a walk, eh? Nice night for a walk. Wash day tomorrow. Nothing clean, right? Nothing clean. Right. Now here comes your host, Kyle A. Barrett of the World Series. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast. This is episode 30, all the geeky news you can use. My name is Kyle A. Bear. I'm a voice actor for anime and video games on the West Coast. And your co-host on the East Coast, Otherworld Steve. I'm just here for Sits and Noodles. That's usually what we all all do here every week. But I uh, want to give a shout out to everyone who has uh, spread the love about the Big Ball Broadcast uh, through social social media and whatnot. Uh we got some uh, some more love from uh, folks all over the globe, including uh, Gaz in the UK. Um, got an email here at thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. Good evening, gents. Good morning for us. It's 2 a.m. It's Gareth, Daniel Beasley, and Graham from Wakefield, Yorkshire, England. First time we have tuned in live for our geek field, and we are all ready. I wonder if, they, I wonder if British people are insulted whenever Americans talk in that. I just like working, trying to work on the dialect, but my British becomes Australian. But anyway, while counting down the hours, waiting for you gents to start, we have been chatting about the episode seven picks online. Akbar, Leia, Kylo, Solo, Nian Num. We are loving the original trilogy feel to their look. We have not got Terminator 5 here yet. Have you guys seen it? And what did you think? Uh, no, we haven't seen it yet. They just had the premiere in Hollywood, but uh, I think it just looks like another completely pointless Terminator movie. Yeah, uh, Gaz also says we thought a good idea would be for Arnold to play a human role for a change with him getting older. Maybe a T hunt, uh, maybe whom the T eight hundred would be based on. Uh, so just guessing for fun in episode seven, we are a split. Dan believes Luke will die and become a force ghost, and I'm guessing it's Han who bites the blaster. You gents got a guess? Resurrection F for Dragon Ball Z, the new movie, just looks stunning. We watched all the clips and can't wait. Uh, we hope many more Dragon Ball Z anime movies to come. I heard some rumors about Spaceballs 2. Don't know if you're a fan of the first, but no Joan Candy, Joan Rivers, uh, no John Candy, Joan Rivers, and Dick Van Patten. Uh, would it work? Sad story about Rick Moranis losing his wife, uh, but what an amazing dad. With the next Star Trek filming and the cast signed for another, you think there's any chance of another Star Trek TV series one day? 
So our question, good sir, is any chance you will come to the UK anytime soon or some kind of Smodco network tour? With regards to your last show, Dan and Graham got PS4s and are happily playing Arkham Knight. I'm one of the guys waiting for an update still, LOL. Big Ball Broadcast is still our get-together radio show. Now it's 2 a.m. get-together. Big fans always, Gaz, Dan, and G. Sure you can. Thank you very much, Gaz. Well, he, he's got lots of questions here, so... That's a lot to get through, but it's all good stuff. And, and thank you, Gaz, for the uh, dedication of staying up way past your bedtime to catch the show. So uh, let's go down the laundry list, starting with um, Episode 7 Picks Online. Are you looking at spoiler picks as they come out? I have kind of, yeah. I, I've pretty much embraced all the spoiler stuff I can get because I don't think it really fucks with the plot too much. And I really like what I see so far. Yeah, me too. I'm not going too crazy. I'm kind of avoiding story stuff. But if someone somehow sneaks a, a some sort of pick of a, of a core character, I am, yeah, I'm kind of all over it. When I, I said in the beginning, I swore myself off to spoilers I'm not going to do that again because I knew everything that was going to happen in the prequel trilogy. And there I was in the theater just telegraphing what was going to happen. And I find that that kind of took away from the the movie going experience. Um, you know, say what you will creatively about the movies. But in general, I think uh, that sense of wonder and excitement when, when something happens to a character and you don't ever see it coming or you have no idea and it just unfolds before you is way more satisfying than, than knowing 100% exactly how it's going to go down, right? I had a screener, I think, to episode two, a good solid month before the movie even debuted theatrically. And there was so much buzz and anticipation. I guess people at that point were hoping, oh my God, this has to be better than Phantom Menace. But um, it did. It, it deflated me. It, I had already seen it all. So story elements for this movie, I'm trying to avoid. I don't want this getting too fucked up but um, another question Gaz had was whether or not luke would die and become a force ghost or if solo would die and you know i have to honestly say i don't want to see either of them die and not for any sentimental reasons i think um with han it's a bit too late han wanted to or should i say harrison ford wanted to go out in jedi he wanted to make the ultimate sacrifice for the rebellion and lucas was so against it and i think it would have meant a lot to kind of go out in his youth but now and and no backhand to Harrison Ford, but he you can tell the age is there. And I think kind of for a senior citizen member of the cast to bite it, it's like, well, he probably didn't have too much time left anyway, so it wasn't really this noble sacrifice. Plus, you, you think about it from a story standpoint. Yeah, they're going to kind of cross over with some core characters that people know and love and then kind of weave that into the story with um, with new characters. I think it makes perfect sense to do what they're doing, you know, not have them so integral to the plot that it would take away the, the limelight of the new characters. Uh, next question from Gaz. Haven't got Terminator 5 here yet. You guys seen it? What do you think? So Terminator Genesis. I am not terribly overexcited about it. Everything I've seen from it just looks like another play-by-numbers sort of, um, yeah, been there, done that. Oh, look, a T-1000 liquid metal. Yeah, yeah, been there, done that. Okay. I mean, slightly updated effects, but... Nothing that makes me go, this is the movie we've been waiting for. Are you curious at all about the whole John Connor thing? Yeah, well, sure, sure. I'm, I'm interested in, you know, a new take. I was reading a little bit without avoiding, you know, totally avoiding the spoilers from Harry Knowles from Ain't It Cool. He's seen it and he said it's enjoyable. He said it didn't hold a candle to the James Cameron one and two, but he mentioned that James Cameron even likes Genesis and says that, uh, yeah, it's pretty solid and they, they do some 
interesting ideas that some total what the fuck sort of time travel ideas. So yeah, I'm interested. This movie's kind of wearing me down. The trailers are. At first, it was like, what the fuck? This is so fucking ridiculous. Who's going to waste their money and time with this? But the more I get bombarded with it, the more I'm like, you know, yeah, it's it's not Shakespeare in the park, but I'm kind of curious. What's going on with John Connor? How did John become a Terminator, I guess, essentially? And, and the who's and the why's. And I guess the other thing, too, is this chick playing Sarah Connor, she's a little cuter than uh, her predecessor. So I'll give them that. Well, yeah, that's Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones. She's easy on the eyes. So they, they youngified uh, Sarah Connor for this, which is younger than in other Game of Thrones. Uh, Lena Headey, I think, from Sarah Connor Chronicles, the TV show from a few years ago that I really liked. You know, it, it's going to make money. I don't think it'll make Jurassic Park money, Jurassic World money. Then again, I didn't think Jurassic World would make Jurassic World money. Jurassic World now is at over $1.5 billion worldwide. Pretty freaking insane. Kind of, you know, unfortunate. The the box office take this past weekend dropped significantly. And um, I think it was on Ain't It Cool News. I was reading it's That's about it, I guess, for this run. It'll make more money. And then, of course, when it comes out on Blu-ray and DVD, it'll make more money. But um, in terms of being a competitor, especially against a movie like James Cameron's Avatar, that's just not going to happen. It's just not taking in that kind of money at this point. Resurrection F, which is the new Dragon Ball Z movie. There's some clips online from that. Of course, the trailer. It drops in North America in theaters August 4th through 12th uh, at Anime Expo. There'll be the world premiere of the English dub. I'll be on hand for that. It's probably going to be a few weeks before you guys hear the update from that because I have to go to Ireland with my lovely girlfriend. Have to go to Ireland. I Sorry, have kids. To. Have to. That's right. It's required by law. I have to go. I can't go to San Diego Comic-Con, mind you. I have to go to Ireland. I will admit this. I was up way past my bedtime last night. There's quite a few full versions of the movie on YouTube. Unfortunately, not a single one of them are subtitles or dialogue in English. I found a bunch of Spanish versions online. Part of me almost gave in. I almost said, well, at least I can watch it and kind of figure out what's going on. But then I said, no, it's it's fucking Z, man. I, I got to see this start to finish the way it should be seen. So you got me Funimation and Universal. So I, I got to buy this fucking movie when it comes out. <laughs> no, you got to go see it in the theater, man. <laughs> you got to go I, see I, it. My yeah. closest theater is 20 miles away. And I, I know it's not 200 miles, but 20, it's still, you know, it's a little cumbersome for me to make that trip. So I haven't decided yet. Oh, make a day of it. Come on, guys. Tweet at us at BB Broadcast. Should Otherworld Steve make the 20-mile trek to see Dragon Ball Z Resurrection F in the theaters. I say it's totally worth it. I'm not biased or anything. <coughs> so, rumors about Spaceballs 2. I haven't heard about rumors of that. Spaceballs 1, was I a fan of? No, not really. I think uh, one out of the five or six or seven jokes kind of hit. There's some good jokes in there, but the Mel Brooks stuff like Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles, that's... That's the parody stuff that uh, really, really shown. By the time Spaceballs came out, it was 1987, 10 years after Star Wars. I thought it was a little too late. And sure, there's some some well-loved celebs that are no longer with us anymore. But that, I don't think that's the reason why we should avoid making Spaceballs too. I just, just don't think there's a, a, a need for it. And it's kind of hard to watch because of Bell Brooks movies. 
although they were all made quite some time ago, this one just doesn't hold up like the rest. Watching it, you know you're watching a very dated property. Yeah, it's so weird that you could watch something from the 70s or 80s and it won't feel nearly as dated as something from the 80s or 90s. Were there more questions to this email? Yeah. Uh, do we think there's going to be another Star Trek TV series one day? You know, Paramount has has pulled stuff out of nowhere for how many years now since the original Trek? Of course, I think there's absolutely a possibility that we're going to see more Trek adventures on TV. You know, I'm going to be the, the downer on this one and say, no, I don't think so. And for a couple reasons. The first is Star Trek is in comic books. Yes, I know you can get really technical. Well, there was a comic book once. Okay, whatever. What I mean is it's Star Trek's competing against the superheroes, and it's really comparing apples to oranges. So I don't see it being as big a force as what's going on in pop culture right now. The other thing is, traditionally, every single iteration of Star Trek that was on TV was ridiculously expensive to produce. By the time Next Generation rolled around, you were talking millions of dollars per episode just in the production cost, not including what you were paying your cast and and, uh, guest stars and everything. I really think that because of the cost and because of the kind of uh, weird ether that cable television's in now, nobody's going to dump that kind of money behind a really huge, big production show. And it's kind of ironic that, you know, millions of dollars were poured into that, even the next generation in the late 80s. And those effects so totally don't hold up at all. The Trekkies and the Trekkers out there, they can wait out the, the superhero thing. You know, as much as we are enjoying it, I kind of... it. I think of it as a trend. I don't think it will always be as as in. I think that people are going to kind of get a little sick of superheroes at a certain point. Well, that's why we have Star Wars. And I think that's the other problem that Star Trek's going to suffer is that, okay, we have an announcement that a new Trek movie's coming out. Okay, we also have an announcement that there's five Star Wars movies coming out. You know, I think my kids are going to be running around with lightsabers and not photon blasters. Yeah, I've always enjoyed Star Trek, but not nearly to the level as Star Wars. I think Star Wars is just far more mainstream and accessible. Are we ever going to go to the UK? Well, bug your local uh, convention or pop culture uh, cons. <laughs> Make it happen. Say, we want the big ball broadcast out here. Comic book men and Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman, they get to travel and Jason Mewes and all that. We want to go. Yeah, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm going to the UK. I'm going to Ireland for a con with my girlfriend. But to take things to the to the big level, we kind of rely on you guys listening to our show. Of course, Smodco can't foot the foot the bill for, for getting us to the UK. There are UK shows for for Hollywood Babylon and, and Jay and Silent Bob get old and, and whatnot. But, you know, it's fun to dream. And as certainly the, the, the power of fans is mighty to behold. So um, start um, emailing your local conventions there in the United Kingdom or anywhere around the world that you happen to be listening. And you think, hey, Kyle and Steve should really come out to a con and do a geek uh, podcast live, you know, just like Kevin Smith and, and everybody. I think uh, if you wouldn't join me on this show, I am so much more fun in person. He wears sunglasses day, night, doesn't matter. <laughs> He's looking all shady and everything. <laughs> looking all shady. Nice. <laughs> You're looking shady with the shades. These parts, shady has an entirely different meaning. <laughs> That's true. Thank you, Gaz, for sending all this stuff. So we made reference to a individual with a screen named Cocaine and Whores who is in our chat room right now. We have a chat, a chat room when we are, do our, our live audio streams as we record our new episodes, which are typically on Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern. 6 p.m. Pacific. Obviously, we're going to be missing a few weeks due to international travel. But um, there'll be reruns on the Smodco Network. And of course, you can catch up to all our our episode archives on Smodcast.com. 
and follow our Twitter at BB Broadcast. So you'll know uh, when we're going live and uh, we'll, we'll have the chat room link so you guys can uh, join in. Cocaine and Whores wrote to us. I stated before in the chat room during a previous episode, I also have fibro. I totally sympathize with your girlfriend. Okay, so yeah, fibro, which is short for fibromyalgia. My girlfriend, right or wrong, that's her name here. She's in the background. She suffers from that. Cocaine and Horse goes on to say, I believe there's been studies done about the effects on marijuana on medical issues like fibro, epilepsy, etc. I know epilepsy for sure. It's very well documented. If you give marijuana to those who, ser- who have severe epilepsy, it really makes them seizure-free. Not epilepsy-free, mind you, but it makes them go from having several violent seizures per day to none at all. I actually have both, fibro and epilepsy. Yay! I'm very happy that Ryder has found a way to make the daily fibro pain hurt a little less. Because my God, fibro sucks. Kudos to you guys. All the best. And I can't wait to read her book. I need to get a hold of that. So let me do a quick plug for Ireland Calls My Name, which is Ryder Wrong's first novel. It's a historical fiction novel set during the 1600s Cromwellian conquest, which um, you can learn all about Irish slavery. Uh, set against the actual historical backdrop of of Ireland back then. Some things that uh, are in the Irish history books, but not necessarily in the global history books. Gotten great reviews from everyone who's gotten a, a hold of it. You can get it on ebook, on Kindle, and uh, available on paperback from Amazon and Amazon UK. Uh, so we encourage you to check out Right or Wrong, R-Y-T-E-R-R-O-N-G, Ireland Calls My Name. It'll be the first thing that pops up on Amazon. Very easy to find. So let's see. Otherworld Steve, did you see the TV movie of Star Wars Rebels on the 20th? Thoughts? Review, please. Totally sucks that there will not be any new episodes until the fall. Uh, Short answer, no. I did not. I'm still kicking myself for that. It it happened. I missed it. And I was in such a OCD phase that I was looking for the the new Dragon Ball Z movie that I didn't even bother looking for Star Wars. But I need to make that a priority. Vader is just fucking awesome to see Vader in Rebels. That's sweet. I'm I'm glad he's kind of living up to the type of character he should be. And they're not just shoehorning him in for the sake of, oh, look, we put Vader in there. As I mentioned a few podcasts back, there's also a very slight possibility that with these five Star Wars movies coming out, we're going to see characters from Rebels actually popping up in the live-action realm. And I think that's really cool, and I really am a huge advocate for that. I think they're doing a great job with Rebels. I'm so excited. I can't wait until the fall. And I think it's a good lead-up to the movie to get that new season of Rebels flowing. And then shortly after, boom, you know, Christmas, Episode 7. And they uh, did announce Season 1 of Star Wars Rebels on Blu-ray. All kind of cool extras. The only problem I kind of have with the extras is, uh, in this day and age, the Blu-ray gets loaded up with so much more than the DVD release. And I understand why it isn't always the most viable option for me to pop a Blu-ray and sometimes after the I'm popping a DVD in. And I love extras. As I've said before, when I get something on DVD or Blu-ray, I check all the extras out before I even watch the film again. Yeah, sometimes you get documentaries that are sometimes even better than the feature. Absolutely. I still think, and if people haven't seen it yet, when Funimation released Akira with the new uh, voice dub, that documentary, that making of, it's one of the most impactful documentaries I think I've ever watched when it comes to making film because at a time they were doing things that were ridiculously difficult to do and they still did it because there was that passion and that dedication that I don't really think comes across in a lot of media nowadays. If you're interested in picking up Star Wars Rebels on Blu-ray will be available on September 1st. So that's just a couple months away. Uh, if you can't wait and just have to have your HD fix, of course you can catch it uh, on demand if you have a Disney XD app, a cable subscription, of course, or you can buy a season pass or, or cherry pick whatever episodes you want on iTunes as well. I feel like such a heel right now because we've talked before, I, I'm still tethered to cable and I forgot all about on demand. How the fuck did that happen? So yes, after the podcast, I can watch Rebels and catch up because I have 
Disney XD on demand. Cocaine and Whores also had another question for you, Steve, here. Since you're a Spider-Man fan, any thoughts on Disney's Drake Drake Bells? He's voiced them for several series. He says, I've never been a fan of Spider-Man. I know, I know, I'm sorry. But his Spider-Man, I enjoy. I love the current Spider-Man. I think it's everything Spider-Man should be. The youth, witty banter, the sarcasm. I, I really, really, really thoroughly enjoy everything Disney has brought to the table with Spider-Man. And I'm, I'm kind of excited to see that transition into a theatrical film. Because don't forget, you know, on top of everything else coming out, Disney, Marvel, Sony, that has to do with Spider-Man. We're also getting an animated Spider-Man film that's being just entirely produced by marvel and it's going to again be released theatrically and i like to see a lot of that carry over spider-man is an is an interesting character i don't think he's anywhere near as boring or bland as say superman or batman and yeah you know hate mail at bb broadcast but i think spider-man's he's very colorful and you don't know what's going to happen and there's a bunch of vulnerabilities and sometimes the situations you don't really know if he's going to make it out of so yay spider-man as we get closer and closer to the release date of ant-man i'm curious do you think anyone is excited for this film genuinely excited it's a marvel movie i'm in i'm even now curious about fantastic four despite all the uh controversy that it's apparently had behind the scenes and and people leading up to yet another reboot but um yeah i'm on board with with ant-man i haven't heard anything negative about early screenings neither have i and it's kind of weird because um marvel's this past week anyway has kind of opened up quite a bit about phase three and everything and ant-man um being the final film of phase two they said yeah you know we really went in a different direction than ant-man don't go in expecting to see you know, an Iron Man film or an Avengers film. It's going to be nothing like that. It's just entirely different for the universe. And I'm okay with that. Uh, We've talked about this before. I think different films in this universe can be different genres. I think you can have noir films that are part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and more sci-fi heavy than action adventure. A little bit of talk from Chris Pratt and, and from Disney about Guardians of the Galaxy. It's going to be a little bit more serious. It's going to be a little bit more emotional. I like, of course, that Disney and Marvel are, are allowing the comedy in their films. And, and in the case of Ant-Man, it looks like they're going to kind of lean on that comedic edge a bit where DC has been really dark and really gritty and, and there's no jokes. So that's my rant on that. The point you're bringing up about, you know, some the superheroes having their own subgenres within that that's kind of important. So they stand out. Are they always successful experiments? No, I think you like Watchmen, right? I love Watchmen. I think that's a great cinematic adaptation. I think it didn't do well because people were expecting something like X-Men or other superhero films. Uh, and that's not what Watchmen was about. It was completely, you know, dark and serious and cynical, and it's just very, very different. But I think it's a that's an important voice to have. Uh, that major studios with the with these millions of dollars to blow uh, actually take a gamble and don't give you the same exact formula for success because people will always otherwise compare it to it it's like well you know it's kind of like iron man but not as good it's like well then don't make another iron man make something that thinks outside the box i mean you even have disney doing that now with star wars with the standalone films where they're not just standard fare this uh first standalone coming out it's kind of the gritty realities of war it's something akin to a documentary you'd find on the history channel at two o'clock in the morning so with a lot more action i'm sure and maybe lightsabers but I, I dig that. I dig that it can, they can go in different directions. I don't think it has to be all pigeonholed into one category. Right. And you've probably got an inkling from that, from the fan film genre of, of fans taking franchises like Star Wars or Star Trek and and doing 
uh, different types of experiments. They don't just do something in the same safe formula that people know and love because, you know, that's predictable. Why don't we think outside the box? If you want to give, you know, Rogue One, the, the first Star Wars spinoff movie, the Rogue Squadron uh, thing, uh, make it like, oh, yeah, it's like a like a war film, like what? Saving Private Ryan. So it's like really intense and handheld and and all that stuff. Things that you don't think stylistically mesh with Star Wars at all. But, hey, I'm on board with with, with it. If it's it's not fitting in within the main story of the new trilogy, they're specifically setting it up to do it this way. You know what's funny? As we're talking about this, I'm thinking in the back of my head, it's a principle that we can apply to film and thoroughly enjoy. But if you applied it to your favorite recording artist, you'd probably pull the hair out of your head. You know, if System of a Down decided to go country or something, tap into a different genre experiment, people would freak the fuck out. But we're like, oh, that's that's so great when Disney or or Marvel does that. Isn't it kind of ironic? It is because you get people uh, that are fans of a band or a solo artist. And it's like, I remember the old days. That's what I like. And not this new crap. They sold out this, that, and the other. I mean, me and you loving Metallica from the very beginning and then seeing them become more mainstream and, 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 and the changes they went through. But, you know, you can't argue numbers. They're, they're the biggest metal band in the world. Metal, you know, put your quotes around it, whatever. But, you know, are, they're not what we remember in the early 80s, mid 80s, early 90s even. Um, now, even today when they go see Metallica, I'm, I'm going to hear the hits, the classics, the stuff I grew up on. And uh, years ago, um, when St. Anger came out, when they got to the point in the show where they were going to do numerous tracks from St. Anger, that's when my wife and I decided to leave. And it's the first time I ever walked out on a Metallica concert. But yeah, you know, as long as it's still out in jamming and they're, they're rocking shit from Master of Puppets and, you know, Kill Em All or whatever. Yeah, I'll keep turning out and, and checking it out. Yeah, it's like we can all remember phases of of a band's thing it's like uh, you know, i'm a huge rush fan and rush had their you know more prog rock sound in the 70s with with really really long you know seven eight nine ten minute songs and then it got more synth heavy and in, in the in the 80s and then it came back to guitar and, and everything and now it just doesn't fucking matter at all because <laughs> they're just doing anniversary tours and just doing the hits and that's what sells out arenas and makes everyone happy so you know you don't need a radio hit now as a band you know, as a huge veteran band anyway. Which, you know, that number shrinking. There aren't many, especially when you talk about the genre of metal. So they'll be doing their, their wrap-up tours pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or they'll, they'll, they'll die trying. They'll fall over and, oh my God, get off my lawn. I can't believe it. Um, I wanted to bring up another uh, point that uh, Cocaine and Whores in her email uh brings up because uh, this is one of the stories you wanted to talk about here, Steve, today. Um, She says, I wanted to mention that as a woman, it sucks that there isn't any action figures of female heroes. It downright sucks. Growing up, um, who did I have to look up to? Oh, Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, etc. Damn princesses who slept the hours away and waited for a guy to rescue them. There's Cinderella who cheerfully put up with being abused by her family, then was swept away by her Prince Charming. What bullshit. Hell, even Mulan ended up with a prince in the end. Who do little boys get to look up to as male heroes? They get a number of badasses like Wolverine, Goku, Luke Skywalker, Batman, and the list goes on and on. Disney can use their shitty excuse of, we already have the female market down, but that's what it is. It's a shitty excuse. Right now, there are toys for Star Wars Rebels out there. And are there any Hera toys? Nope. Even before their appearances in the show, there were toys of Chewie and Vader. There are even giant toys for Stormtroopers, but none for the main female cast. I'm totally expecting that when the new Star Wars movie comes out that all the girls will be ignored. 
Disney needs to come up with a better excuse than we already have the market down. It just makes me sad and frustrated. Well, thank you, Cocaine and Whores, for your passionate email and your questions and your feedback. With Disney, it doesn't make any sense, especially with the big reveal. And sorry, spoilers, kids, if you haven't seen the conclusion of season one of Rebels, um, the return of Ahsoka. That's a huge deal. This is Anakin's Padawan. And now you have Vader knowing that Ahsoka is still alive and Ahsoka understanding that Anakin has become Vader. So that's very intense. That's very important, very powerful. There should be Ahsoka shit lining the aisles at this point. Um, But to my knowledge, there isn't. And I don't know why. Because even my boys who dig the show would want to have Ahsoka as part of the collection for Rebels to play out those plots and those scenes. So it doesn't make any sense. Um, what I came across recently, which makes no sense, I still haven't seen Jurassic World. I apologize. But even from the trailers, you see that they refer to the dinosaurs as girls. Um, even Pratt's Raptor Squad, you know, they're all girls. He's like, come on, let's go, girls. Um, so the toys have hit the shelves, and apparently, in particular, with the Raptors, um, they refer to all of them as males. So even the fucking dinosaurs coming out from this movie that one of the highest grossing, grossing action movies ever um, has to gender swap the figures and target them specifically at boys over girls. And that is beyond baffling. That's fucked up. And you know, the kids are smart. They're smarter than a lot of parents give them credit for. I mean, aren't they going to, go down the toy aisle and go, wait a minute. I don't remember that scene in the movie. That was a dude or that, that, that was a chick. Why is it a man now? I, you know, that's, it's like, honey, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I guess everyone that makes toys think they know what we want as consumers. And sometimes they are just completely clueless. The more they think about it, I think about it, the more I would love to see Disney follow through with something I talked about a couple of episodes back. And Technically, Leia's a Disney princess. Make her that Disney princess. Give her a show on XD or something. Have her be the star and have her be a fucking action hero. She was the leader of the rebellion. Show some of those, um, you know, stories that we haven't get to see. And, and they destroyed the, the whole expanded universe. And it's very narrow what's canon now. So they have a blank canvas to do this. And you can turn Leia into a fucking rock star overnight. Somebody who could probably compete with some of the, the female superheroes out there. Um, so I think they should do that. But again, talking the numbers, talking Disney in particular, having that corner on the princess market, it's probably not going to ever happen. With production turnaround on toys, it takes a good, you know, six month lead for production and whatnot, you know, to make the molds and this. So even if a business decision comes down from corporate, from all these major toy companies, with, with licensing agreements with all the major studios. If they say yes today, look at the feedback on Twitter and Facebook. Everyone wants um, Hera action figures. Everyone wants, uh, you know, Legend of Korra action figures or, or whatnot. Let's give it to them. Any sort of transition is not going to happen overnight. And, you know, you get the bean counters who are really, really nervous. It's like, well, we don't want to, we don't want to miss the boat. Strike while the iron's hot. So all of these, you know, toys that people can see are, are kind of at a sexist slant in a marketing, you know, all these decisions were made before the movies even dropped before we even had a, 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 a choice or a chance. Uh, so like, what the fuck guys, you know, I'm, I'm glad things have changed compared to the classic trilogy where you could count the number of females in the films on one hand. 
Uh, they've certainly become more diverse, and we actually have female leads. Um, Padme, huge female lead, Queen Amidala, and now um, who I think is is uh, Hanalea's daughter, <laughs> um, starring in Episode Seven. Um, I think it's a good start. It's a, it's a really good start in terms of the theatrical universe. Um, my question to the toy companies is, why don't you want to make money? And I don't know if you have to hypersexualize female characters to make a buck because you look at a studio like Gentle Giant, they'll make beautiful busts, you know, yes, pun intended, of some female characters and, and they sell for a lot of money and they sell out pretty quick. Um, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Would they be peg warmers or would people buy them if you had quote unquote average typical women as leads? Dude, I love that you use the word peg warmers. I haven't heard that since the mid nineties. I worked in a toy store in the early nineties and it was a very, very interesting experience. I worked in um, boys action and it was just all the action figures and accessories. It was incredible. That was my, my camp and uh, heard a lot of stories from that time. And yeah, the reason we saw peg warmers back then was because they were putting out so many different variants and so many different series all at a time that they kind of started doing what what uh, Star Wars did later on and make figures of everybody, even if they were in one panel and one book. And that was an annual. Um, at some point, that figure came out. And they sat on the peg for that reason. In the 90s, I don't think figures sat on pegs because of gender. Yeah, and then, you know, the they get marked down on clearance and then KB toys in the United States. <laughs> You'd have to go to the mall and they got the marked down clearance stickers, you know, two or three on top of each other uh, with, with the, with the busted packaging and everything. Now I got to ask, and I may have asked on a previous episode. I don't remember. I'm sure I asked years ago on our old incarnation of the big ball broadcast. So when you worked the, the action figure aisle, did you have toy collectors paying you off <laughs> to, to get the, the, the short packed ones? Honestly, I don't mind saying this because it's just strictly between you and me. I was the dick who initiated a lot of that stuff. I was in charge of doing a lot of inventory when the boxes were coming in in the back right off the truck. And there'd be a couple boxes, in particular um, the X-Men figures, which had at the time the very rare variant of Iceman before they switched over um, the ice freezing ability where you could take them in the, and put them in the freezer and you change colors and everything. But anyways, uh, a couple of those cases wouldn't be accounted for. And after work, I'd go down to my local comic shop and make up an offer you couldn't refuse. One thing I did, I had a bunch of Jurassic Park uncut card sheets that we were giving away. Any, any Jurassic Park purchase, you got a big uncut card sheet of Jurassic Park trading cards. And I still have a couple of those floating around up in my attic. So maybe on the heels of Jurassic World, I should put this up on eBay, see if it's worth anything. <laughs> it might. I don't know. That's... <laughs> I almost wish I had known you back then. It's like, uh, I need this uh, exclusive. Was it a Toys R Us where you were? Or it, was, uh, it was a subsidiary of KB Toys. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, and I, I worked there the year uh, Power Rangers hit really big. And I stashed away one of the each of the four main Rangers that they had figures for. And Christmas Eve, I sold them for over 100 bucks a pop. For people who were just ridiculously desperate, people literally standing on the corner with signs saying, I promised my kids Power Rangers for Christmas. And it's all right, you know, 110, 120 bucks a pop, they're yours. And okay. Yeah. This is the the pre eBay days. Yeah. 
So uh, what, what's Kevin Feige, one of the one of the big wigs over at Marvel, uh, teasing about uh, Spidey and Doctor Strange? He's been talking a lot this week. Kind of interesting. Again, uh, I guess with Phase Two coming to a close, and we're upon the threshold of Phase Three, he's got a lot to say. Um, he let quite a bit come out about what his ideas are for Spider-Man, and he says it's the soap opera in high school and those supporting characters that are interesting. Um, just as we hadn't seen a heist movie in a long time or a shrinking movie in a long time, we haven't seen a John Hughes movie in a long time. Not that we can make a John Hughes movie, only John Hughes could, but we're inspired by him and merging that in the superhero genre in a way that hasn't been done before excites us. So that's kind of his vision in uh, what to expect for this big co-produced Disney and Sony production well not disney but marvel more so um and he's also talked a little bit about dr strange and this was kind of a slip when he was talking in reference to ant-man and he says we send ant-man on a very weird mind-bending journey at the at the end it was something we hadn't seen in a shrinking movie before but it also represents the tip of the mind-bending weirdness we're going to do in strange and i think that will be a surprise for people so I'm I'm more curious about how Marvel's going to introduce Doctor Strange to the cinematic universe than Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, that was pretty straightforward. Um, but now that we have the space element and the gods element with, with Thor um, and the superhero element, the, I think the weirdest one to the or the strangest one uh-huh, to Oops. slip in is the um, that mystic magical realm and not have it come off as weird or campy. So I'm very, very curious to see how they're going to bring strange to the big screen. Right. Well, the closest thing to magic, I guess, is, is with, with Thor and, you know, his, his home world or home realm or whatever. Um, And the thing about all these at this point, especially with Marvel in particular, is that they're foolproof. They're idiot proof. They're critic proof. People will go see it regardless of what their intentions are with the characters or, or, you know, anything. Because people will either go because they're legitimately excited or they want to go to watch a train wreck. What was interesting I read uh, earlier today was Strange's origin is not going to be with him uh, studying mysticism in Tibet. And they pretty much came out and said, I don't think they really understood what was going on in Tibet when they came up with an origin story. So his origin story is probably going to be more uh, Middle Eastern or, or something of that nature. Not that it really means much because Iron Man's origin was changed significantly to kind of have it mesh with present day. So I, I think it'll all work out. I'm just kind of curious again with the, the demon realm and Dormammu and all that stuff. That's going to be pretty weird because um, Ghost Rider, it didn't live up to anything. <laughs> Not that there was any hype to begin with it. I, I don't want to see another Ghost Rider. No, but uh, that's why it's ripe with opportunity for a, a Marvel uh, Phase 2, I guess, for the TV realm with the success of Daredevil and whatnot and getting the rights back for things like Blade and Ghost Rider and, and things like that. And it's like we can get something true to the vision of the original comics. And even then, they're going to still make it and spin it off and, and make it their own, which is fine. It gets the purest panties in a wad, but you know what? Fuck it. You got to think about your audience. It is a business after all. I think the one thing that Marvel proved was if you're going to make a decent superhero movie, you kind of have to throw some money at it. So the more of these properties that come back under their tent and less away from those studios, 
less inclined to spend that kind of money, the better off all these characters are going to be. We reported on our last show about uh, the minimal chance of Hulk getting his own flick again. We've had two, you know, mediocre at best uh, in terms of box office returns and critical acclaim uh, incarnations, but people love the Hulk, Mark Ruffalo or Ruffalo, however you want to pronounce it, uh, in the Avengers in terms of a team dynamic. People love him. Um, and we were saying, okay, chances are, you know, we're not going to see a, a solo Hulk flick and I'm okay with that. But apparently, you know, Marvel's business plan, you know, their, their core business, which is now cinema, but 10% of their income is still the actual comic book business. They are, uh, launching yet a new, a new Hulk title. Yeah. I guess it's a whole new Hulk. And again, I have to apologize. I haven't kept up with comics since probably the early 90s. So I don't really know exactly what's going on in Marvel right now. I know there's this big universe shakeup thing, and you see a lot of the same, but there's differences, there's twists with everything. So apparently there's a, a brand new Hulk. Bruce Banner is not the Hulk. Um, and Marvel editor-in-chief Alex um, Alonzo says that he is a grounded-in-history character, and I think after hearing the title, you might be able to kind of maybe picture who that might be taking over the Hulk. But the new title of the Hulk book is The Totally Awesome Hulk. And <laughs> I think that's pretty awesome. I mean, why the fuck not, right? The Totally Awesome Hulk. Um, so having said all that, the, the big speculation is that um, A-Bomb is now the Incredible Hulk, or as I should say again, The Totally Awesome Hulk. I'm picturing like Bill and Ted there, like <laughs> saying the name. It's like, it's totally awesome, Hulk, dude. I like A Bomb on Agents of Smash. And I, I, I don't know if it's that big of an impact in what's going on in Marvel's comic universe right now. I know uh, you got bigger things going on, like a female Thor and female Avengers and everything. So I don't know. We'll see if this is just a little blip on the radar, if this actually turns into something people want to see more of. Well, if, if it, you know, the sales aren't there and they, and they kill it after three or four issues, you know, no harm, no foul. Right. They just go back to the, the, the core uh, titles again. It seems every couple of years, DC or Marvel are doing these big reboots. So I have a hard time kind of getting invested in what's going on to know that in two or three years, they're going to hit the reset button and everything you just invested in. That's not part of our canon anymore. <laughs> yeah and uh as i said you know the movie business is of course the core business model now of comic book companies uh warner brothers owns dc and dc are still trying to to find their cinematic footing um we'll see if that works or not or if they're just gonna just look like a clone of marvel movies at this point but um with warner brothers owning dc comics and the uh highly successful more mature themed horror genre, uh, fantasy, sci-fi, uh, vertigo line of comic books. Looks like if there's cinematic versions being bandied about, it's going to be handed off not by Warner Brothers themselves, but their new line cinema division. You know, it, it's kind of sad. Um, I guess you could see the handwriting on the wall. You had Constantine, unfortunately, not get renewed for another season on TV, and then you know, Sandman's been in development hell for a ridiculously long time. So they finally made the big announcement out of Warner Brothers that the entire Vertigo slate has now been shipped over to their new line division. So if there's going to be anything done in the near future regarding Sandman, Constantine, 
um, maybe even uh, Guillermo del Toro's new Justice League Dark. Um, that's going to be coming out of Vertigo. I don't know if that means you can get some kind of hit the ground running dark and dirty a la Daredevil stuff out there, or if it just means they're going to try to make decent superhero flicks with uh eighth of the budget and it's just going to be scary, but yeah. you're a lot, a lot more invested in the vertigo line. So uh, what do you think? Um, well, I think with heavy hitters like Joseph Gordon Levitt getting behind it as executive producer on Sam. And I think we have more chance than ever that a Sandman live action movie will actually happen. I'm, I'm really excited about the possibilities there. Um, initially, when you hear the near, oh, it's going to be, you know, bandied off to a new line division. That's like, oh, this is our low budget uh, thing, you know, which other studios have other satellite studios. that They put things out like uh, years ago, you had uh, Harvey Weinstein's uh, Dimension films, which, you know, you had Scream come out and be a huge hit. Uh, New Line, I remember New Line first hit in the early 80s, and the first Nightmare on Elm Street came out. And then this little trilogy called The Lord of the Rings. Um, So New Line has, you know, a a nice little uh, resume uh, of box office success and uh, fandom, uh, you know, love and everything. So I don't think it's necessarily... Um, going to be relegated to oh here here we're going to do like a, a you know a ten million dollar movie whereas if it were Warner Brothers handling it'd be a hundred million dollars I don't think there'll be that big a discrepancy and certainly not in quality I think that makes it interesting is you don't have to worry about too much going on under one roof we can kind of hand different projects off to different divisions they're all under that huge tent but you don't have everybody in one department trying to focus on ten different things you, you can kind of push it off and say. Well, you develop this. You find the script writers and the directors and make this work. New Line stands to have better success than what Warner Brothers has been pumping out in regards to DC properties. So the DC stuff, it's definitely coming up under the Warner umbrella. They are the ones that announced that, yeah, this is Justice League. We're going to do Flash. We're going to do all that. But I guess they're kind of looking at it as Vertigo books are their own imprint. Even though it's DC Comics, they kind of want to have their own identity. So I kind of get that. It it, it it makes sense if you do some sort of comparison to their, their comic book model. I say as long as DC can bring a successful movie to the screen in the next, I don't know, five or six years, I'd applaud that. The whole Vertigo line is just overflowing with opportunities to bring mature-themed comics to the screen. Things like Constantine and everything, even though Constantine now is more like a generic PG-13 at most comic book, thanks to the New 52. But he started out as Hellblazer, and that was a Vertigo title. Uh, so, you know, you can have the harder edge stuff. Uh, and, and maybe that's kind of their thinking. They're just like, we've got our mainstream stuff with Batman and Superman, but we have the more fringe adult stuff that's a little bit more edgy and dark and different. But yeah, it, it's a comic book thing, but it's not totally like this. So uh, from a merchandising standpoint, there's not going to be all this crossover and we have to worry about offending A, B, and C demographic. I think they should just fuck with everybody from Go and have like Quentin Tarantino direct Sandman and just have that be their launch. Like, here you go. Here's the first movie from the Vertigo line. Yeah, that sounds like a, a, <laughs> a good thing. <laughs> a dialogue, character-heavy uh, script, and uh, he's certainly right up there. You get him or Kevin Smith. I'd be there day one, dude. Yeah, I'll, I'll still be in line for Star Wars and the Marvel movies as they come out. <laughs> okay, so Comic-Con is happening. As I as I mentioned before, oh, I, I have to go to Ireland. Oh, poor me. I can't go to San Diego Comic-Con this year. And you know what? Honestly, 
with social media, I can catch all the info I need there, all the screen grabs, the videos, the the exclusive art, uh, this, that, and the other. Someone's going to be tweeting pics and, and, and video and using Periscope and Meerkat and streaming and all that shit. Everything that you're going to want to see, you know, short of being there. Much like attending a, a, a sporting event where you're like, man, I have the best view at home on this nice big TV. <laughs> I can have all these great close-ups and, and everything. And I don't have to worry about the parking and the crowds and the cost of the hotel and the food and all that shit. I don't even need a badge, man. But the most infamous, of course, and of the venues within the Comic-Con event every year, of course, is Hall H, where all the big movie studios come in and basically take over Comic-Con. If you're not in the exhibit hall buying shit or going down Artist Alley, or whatnot. The other thing you do is sit there and camp out for hours or maybe even overnight uh, to get in to the infamous Hall H where people squat on the seats all day. They don't clear it out because they want to keep the panels going in a timely fashion. So people get there. They they will, uh, you know, they'll cr- crash outside, sleep outside the convention center in San Diego for an entire night just to have a chance to get a good seat, watch a bunch of panels they don't give a shit about. So they have a seat for them and their friends or their family uh, for the one panel of the day that they do care about. Um, so there's some big shit going down in Hall H. Last year, they tried to change things up to make it easier, and they turned it into a giant clusterfuck. And what they did last year was you had to be in line before 1 a.m., and they gave you wristbands, but then you still couldn't leave the line. And um, this year, they're going to change it up a lot more dramatically. And you can get a wristband at a much more reasonable hour the night before. None of this waiting until 1 a.m. to get a wristband. You can leave. You can take off and do whatever the fuck you want. Go see the sites. Go grab a bite. Go buy some stuff in the dealer room. As long as you're back before 7.30 a.m., you can get right back in line. However, you know, you're behind other wristband holders, but at least in front of everybody else. So I don't, I'm not sure the number of wristbands they issue, but... It's interesting that at least this year you can take off for a bit, come back and not be, you know, 10,000 people back. You can be with the rest of the wristband holders for that morning. So kudos to San Diego Comic-Con. I hope it works out for you. It's similar to what Disney does with what's called Fast Pass. You, you get a little ticket to come back at a certain time and you basically get to go in the expedited line uh, to get on the ride. And I was wondering at what point something, some huge event like Comic-Con wouldn't adapt that a similar model. So people wouldn't have to do that. Um, I know that we can't, you can't have reserved seating like in certain cinemas, which I think is the greatest blessing of this day and age to not have to stand in line for six hours at a time to watch a movie anymore. You buy your tickets online, pick the seats you want, and then show up two minutes before the trailers start. And you're like, this is awesome. Um, that is a wonderful idea. So yeah, hats off to Comic Con for and may it work. I really, really hope that um, that 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 thing will streamline the lines. It's crazy. I think you probably have more people attending Comic Con now more than ever. It's become all things geeky. We should be there at some point, Holly. We really should, because you know Kevin, Ralph, and Comic Con men, comic book men, they're always there. They're always there. One day, one day. If you want the big ball broadcast to be at Comic-Con in San Diego, speak loud, use your keyboards, use your smartphones, let people know, because we're totally down for it. But it's beautiful that it's become such an event. It really has um, the embracing of these all things geek. It's very powerful. I think it says a lot to 
how the attitude and the mindsets come around with geeks and nerds and people finding their kinks. So I think it's great. I think it's a wonderful celebration. And one day I hope to be there with star Wars, having a a huge presence in hall H at comic-con, that's going to be the first opportunity for fans to see brand new footage. You know, they're going to show something that the trailers haven't shown and probably still won't show until we get closer to release and uh, people just rabid, just foaming at the mouth to see anything new. And I got to say that that is something that I would, I would stand in line for after I got through ranting about how I wouldn't stand in line. If I had a chance to see brand new footage for star Wars, you know, and you know, someone's going to film it with their, with their smartphone from a horrible angle and it'll get bootlegged and uh, uploaded on YouTube and, and pulled down within five minutes of Fox finding, or sorry, Disney finding out. It's a good question. Who's, who distributes the new Star Wars films? Is it Disney or is it Fox? Or does Fox have a, a, a stake in it, maybe international distribution or, or whatnot? I'm sure it, it's a Google search away. But, I was uh, going to say, that sounds like a, you know, a to be continued. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll find out the info. Or you guys, you're resourceful. You can do our work for us so we can just sit here and be lazy. Maybe that's why we'll never get to tour and go to Comic-Con because we're fucking lazy. Oh, fuck you. I'll do it. You get to tour all the time. You You're right. I do. <laughs> jet setter. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll go a state over. I'll go to fucking Rhode Island if you want to have a con pay with me to go there. Uh, I, yeah, because after all, Otherworld Steve actually does all the homework. He does the, the heavy lifting on the podcast. I just kind of throw together some editing and occasionally show up and speak for 10 seconds. Because uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm lazy. I can't, or I'm just that fucking busy. I'll be honest. I am busy, but I'm also lazy. So thank you, Steve, for, for every week um, busting your ass to, to throw together just enough stuff that we can jam pack an hour with, with awesome content. Hey, it's always last minute and it's always fun. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and thanks to you guys for listening. Everyone in our chat, Alan S cocaine and whores hero zero zero four, Robert J. Uh, tell them Steve, Dave, Ninja, Ant, Treg, everybody else who stops by everyone else who tweets at us and emails the big ball broadcast at gmail.com or at BB broadcast. Keep it going. Now keep in mind, uh, we're probably going to be in repeats for a, a couple of weeks. Uh, because I got the international travel coming up and jet lag and all that craziness, but stay tuned to our Twitter feed and, uh, we'll come back, uh, and you guys will be able to join us live as we do our uh, live audio streams, record a new episode until next time. This is Kyle Abair. And this is other world Steve. See ya. Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. music provided by zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at BB Broadcast and email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at smodcast.com.